Okay, open up your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 13. Uh, Last week's message is online if you weren't here and you want to go back and listen. You can find it on the ministry website, fpgm.org, under podcast studies in Revelation. And it's the most recent one up there. Or you can subscribe to that podcast on iTunes and listen to it uh, on your iPhone or by streaming, and it updates. So if you want to catch up, I encourage you to. I don't want to do a lot of rebuke. I mean, I'll do a lot of rebuke. That's my nature, but I don't want to do a lot of recap this morning. I want to move on. If you have your outlines from back in the spring, we're on the back side. The beast out of the earth, the seventh personage, and we're kind of halfway through uh, point A this false prophet's attributes. And so last week we looked at this passage. This is the seventh of the major players laid out for us in the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's in the midst of this parenthesis that highlights the war between Satan the dragon and the people of Israel. Satan hates Israel as much as he hates the church. And so when the church is taken out of the world, all his hatred turns toward eradicating a people. If he can eradicate a people, there's no one, uh, uh, Christ, no one over whom Christ can reign and fulfill those Davidic promises. And so in the context of that war, we're introduced to other characters. There's a heavenly campaign in which Michael and his, archang- Michael and his angels war with Satan and the dragon. He's kicked out of heaven, loses his access privileges that he has now to accuse the brethren halfway through this period of tribulation. Then he's really ticked off. And that coincides with a change in the uh, person of Antichrist. He takes off the mask and reveals who he is and is a traitor against the people of Israel who have thought him to be their Messiah. And so the this war moves from a heavenly campaign to an earthly campaign. God protects the remnant of Israel. And so Antichrist's wrath is poured out upon the remnant of her seed, those tribulation saints that respond to the preaching of the Jewish witnesses during this time and the preaching of the two witnesses in Jerusalem, those anointed ones. And then we see that in this earthly war against Israel and the remnant of her seed in the last days, The uh, devil has a commander-in-chief. That commander-in-chief is the beast that comes out of the sea. We saw this in the first half of the chapter. And then this, uh, the devil also has a minister of propaganda. Peter, uh, in history, has got a propaganda minister to prop him up. Christ doesn't need propagandists to prop him up. He had a forerunner to declare who he is. He doesn't need somebody to put out the propaganda to convince people who he is. There'll be no need to convince or persuade. It'll be obvious when his foot sets down on the Mount of Olives and he takes what is rightfully his. But we began to talk about this minister of propaganda last week, um, this beast that comes out of the land. I talked about how the land, I believe, is a reference to Haaretz Israel, the land of Israel. And as Antichrist comes out of the sea, which stands for the Gentile nations multiple times in the Scriptures, the land would be a reference to Israel. It's my position that Antichrist will be a 
diaspora Jew and the, this false prophet will be an Israeli Jew. And their purpose is to deceive Israel and to deceive the world. This beast out of the land or out of the earth, it says here in verse 11, um, had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Uh, those two horns, he has a fuzzy wuzzy little lamb, appears spiritual and good for mankind, but he's a deceiver. He's not a lamb like the lamb-like. And he's a deceiver. When he speaks, he speaks as a dragon. Okay, a lot of times when the mouth speaks, the heart leaks. And he's a deceiver. Those two horns, I believe, refer to some sort of both political and religious authority that he has in Israel at the time that causes men to follow him. Perhaps some sort of high priest in the new temple or a chief rabbi. And he will, because of his place of authority, he can convince the people of Israel to follow this false antichrist as their Messiah. And that's where I got last week his attributes. I talked a little bit about the spirit of this false prophet. Uh, as we believe Christ, when he finishes with the church and takes us out, that we'll be on the sidelines in heaven during these events. And so you might ask, why would we take time to study these personages that won't make themselves known or be revealed to the world until after the church is taken out and the restraint of the Holy Ghost is removed. Well, these persons are real. They're literal people that will come, but it, even now the spirits of these are at work. We know the spirit of Antichrist is at work. So when we study the man, we can better discern the spirit. It's the same with this false prophet. Later in Revelation, he's called the false prophet multiple times. That's why I use that terminology. But the more we know about Him then, the more we can recognize His Spirit. And as Antichrist Spirit is prevalent, so is the Spirit of the False Prophet. If you want to peg the Spirit of Antichrist today, you can peg it in men like Tim Keller, who's this well-known, famous preacher around the country that people go gaga over. And when he's asked about whether Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, he's got to beat around the bush. That's not a mark of God's prophets. God's preachers in the Bible never beat around the bush. They told it straight. When King Zedekiah asked uh, uh, Jeremiah to come and tell him what he had heard from the Lord, Jeremiah says, the city is going to be burned to the ground and you're going to go into captivity. Pretty straight. No beating around the bush. And don't tell me that beating around the bush is some kind of apologetic way of, of uh, not giving them words that they can twist and turn on. You know, God's prophets spoke the truth. So when men beat around the bush about the person and work of Jesus Christ, or they deny His divinity, that's the spirit of Antichrist. We need to run. When it comes to the spirit of the false prophet, it's real easily recognizable. We hear it everywhere. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. But the Bible is just written by men. But the Bible can't be trusted. That's the spirit of the false prophet. And when men beat around the bush in the name of Christ about the authority of the Scriptures, you're looking the beast out of the earth right in the face, in my opinion. So we need to be able to discern these things. And so that we may do so, today I want to talk a little bit about true prophets or preachers of God 
versus false prophets or preachers. We're talking about the perennial false prophet here in Revelation that will deceive not only Israel, but the Gentiles into believing that Antichrist is God. Completely deceive them so that they're completely blind to the judgment of God happening all around them. False prophets deceive in such a way that when God's clear judgment comes, you're blinded to it and you can easily explain it away. The rapture of the church will easily be explained away as evolution doing its work. Survival of the fittest. The earth herself ridding itself of those things that um, have afflicted her, that have tormented her. Easily explained away. Um, Let's just look at these verses real quick. I want to look at verses uh, 11 and 12 today. False prophets' attributes. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast, that's the first part of the chapter, Antichrist, before him, and he causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This false prophet has all the power of Antichrist because he has the same father, the devil, and his role is to cause the people of the earth to follow this false Christ. He's a deceiver that causes people to follow a false god, a false messiah. And that's what false prophets do. They preach, sometimes in the name of the Lord, to, to drive men to turn away from God. And so I think it behooves us to pause and say, what is a true prophet versus a false prophet? This is a false prophet. He's called that in Revelation 16. He's called that in Revelation 19. When Antichrist is cast alive into the lake of fire by Christ Jesus the Messiah, so is the false prophet. And then the dragon, Satan, later joins them at the end of the millennium. But let's look at some, some, some passages of Scripture today. We're going to do a lot of them. So uh, be ready, men. Um, what are the characteristics of a true preacher or a true prophet of the Lord? Well, number one, when he speaks he's, in terms of the future or he speaks in terms of things that God is doing or is going to do, a prophet of the Lord is 100% accurate. Not 99%. 100%. We often look at men who speak 90 to 99% good things, but 1% of it turns us away from the clear revelation of Scripture, and we think, well, that's not so bad. Just think about all the good things he says. Well, my friends, if you were thirsty and I handed you a Nalgene bottle that was 99% pure water from a glacier, but that little bit at the top I turned to the side and took our peat in it. 1% urine. Would you drink it? Of course not. Or 1% Giardia bacteria, just a little drop I put in there. Would you want to drink it? Why do we think we're safe spiritually when it comes to God's Word, if you have a man that says 99% good things but then sows discord and turns you away from the clear revelation of Scripture 1% of the time. Those are the most dangerous. But a prophet of the Lord is 100% accurate. Eric, look up Deuteronomy 18, 21 through 22. 
And uh, Daniel, if you'll look up Jeremiah 28.9. Again, I don't like to make these claims without backing it up with Scripture. And so that's why this study of Revelation has driven us into every other book of the Bible. I kept thinking we were missing the Song of Solomon, but when I was studying for some of our trainings this summer with our missions team, going back and listening to some of the old messages, and one of the messages to the seven churches already went to Song of Solomon. So we've covered every book in the Bible. Any study of the Scriptures ought to force you to cross-reference and interpret Scripture with Scripture. That's the mark of good study. Deuteronomy 18, 21, and 22. If somebody in the name of the Lord prophesies a thing and it doesn't come to pass, then you don't need to waste two seconds worrying about that. Don't fear him. God didn't send him. Period. In discussion. Jeremiah 29. The prophet which prophesied of peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. When a man preaches God's Word and declares what God is or going to do, when those things come to pass, it's a mark of the prophet of the Lord. When they don't, they're not to be taken seriously. If a man makes bold claims about what God is doing or going to do in terms of a great revival in your city and the opposite happens, then you can't trust him to exegete John 11.35 rightly. You don't need to be sitting under a ministry like that. In fact, I find it quite ironic that recently they had this series of meetings down in Charlotte. I believe it was put on by Elevation Church, which is a complete joke. If there's one place that needed to be looted down there on the streets, it was that place. But it's probably just fine. Probably didn't have anybody touch it because the devil protects his, his property down there. But they had this... Code Orange or Agent Orange or some kind of revival meetings down there. And all these preachers came down, a lot of these crazy TV preachers and people that have no business standing in a pulpit and teaching God's people. I think Joyce Meyer was down there and a couple of others. And the, the pastor or whatever you want to call him of this Elevation Church, what's his name, Stephen Furtick or something like that, uh, got up and talked about, he prophesied that God was bringing, going to bring a great revival to Charlotte. And that revival was coming and the city was going to be transformed. Well, that's kind of ironic because in light of what's happened this week down there, the exact opposite. A man like that can't be taken seriously. And those that do take him seriously do so because the things he says are the things they want to hear. They don't want to hear what God has to say. They don't want to hear what He has to say. It's my opinion that men like this are dangerous and we need to run from them, we need to rebuke them, and we need to speak out against them by name. Paul named names ten times in the New Testament. Okay? And if you're on Facebook, my friends, your Facebook page in some senses ought to be a pulpit, especially for you men of God out here. It ought to be a pulpit. It's funny, sometimes I'll search around just out of curiosity to see 
if I've lost any friends lately, and I do. <laughs> we actually lost some friends recently because I put this little video online that we took of this demon dog. We had to walk by all the time in, in, in Ladakh this summer, and he would growl and snarl and just run up to no reason. And uh, we just thought it would be funny every time we'd walk by to call his name or to clap our hands or something, and he'd start growling. And I found a video of this, and I thought it was funny, but people got so upset about that. Oh, this poor dog is living on the streets, and you're tormenting him. And I'm like, excuse me, usually street dogs don't wear fancy collars. Why don't you watch a little closely? And uh, the dog is not... The only thing he needs is a bath because he's fed from the hotel kitchen every day. But there were people so concerned about it. One crazy woman, I don't even know who she was, sent me a private message saying that she'd been, uh, I don't know if it was private, it may have been public, I don't care, but that she had been following us and our ministry and had been appreciated at it, but through that video she had seen a disturbing side of us that she just couldn't bear to... To, to, to deal with it. And I'm thinking, there are people in this country claiming the name of Jesus Christ that gets upset over a dog but never say a word about unborn babies. Never a word. And they'll cut a believer off because they, don't, because they give away a dog or because they don't uh, treat a dog like a human. I mean, unbelievable to me, but that's what these people want. They don't want what God wants. I think it was Horace Greeley that said it's impossible to mentally or socially enslave a Bible-reading people. If we were a Bible-reading people in this country or in this church, stop listening to men and listening to God, then we couldn't be socially or mentally enslaved. But we're enslaved in the church because we've put away the Word of God and we've listened to men who make statements and make predictions that don't come to pass, and we don't even care. Those wicked uh, uh, false prophets down in Wells, Texas, the Church of Wells, they've made lots of predictions about the future that didn't come to pass. And they've always got a reason for why it didn't happen or why it was supposed to be something else. And people just keep listening. Prophecies that a dead baby would raise from the dead. So they pass the corpse around for however many hours before they call the police. And then they've got some answer as to why it didn't happen. And usually the prophet will blame the people. You don't have enough faith. That's evil. That's wicked. And it's not the mark of a true prophet. A true prophet speaks plainly and simply about what God's going to do and it comes to pass. Period. The second thing that a true prophet of the Lord does is he prophesies and preaches judgment against wickedness. He warns against sin. So he preaches against things. He doesn't preach for things. He preaches against them. A prophet of the Lord speaks against and he warns. He doesn't speak for. He doesn't speak welcoming typically. He doesn't make offers. He warns and he speaks against things. Let's look at some examples from the Old Testament. And we can go to the Old Testament and find these examples authoritative. Paul said in Romans and 1 Corinthians that these things were written for our learning and for our admonition or warning upon whom the ends of the world have come. 
We look at these things and we're to learn from them. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, is the God of Israel, is your only hope. Period. And if you don't like how God dealt with homosexuals in the government of Israel, then take it up with Him. He's still your only hope. When God calls something righteous and right, it's not because you think it's righteous or right, it's because He declares it. In fact, He told Israel by carrying out this moral law, the Ten Commandments and the statutes and the judgments, the Gentile nations would look at you and say, what a wise and understanding people this is. How can there be a better law than this? Let's look at a couple passages of Scripture. Brother Gene, if you'd look up Jeremiah 28.8, Ricky, 2 Chronicles 16.7-10, and Paul, if you'll look up 2 Chronicles 24.17-22. Jeremiah, whoever's got that. that have been before me and before thee of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms for war and of evil and of pestilence. So Jeremiah the prophet is sent by God to preach against the sins of the kingdom of Judah and about the judgment of Babylon coming. And the false prophets are saying, you know, within two years, Babylon's going to be wiped out. You don't even need to worry about it. And then they're criticizing Jeremiah, like, why are you preaching against all this stuff? And he says, well, why are you surprised, basically? The prophets that have been before me and before you, when they came, they spoke against stuff. They preached against countries, against kingdoms. They warned of war, evil, and pestilence. Why are you surprised that's what I'm doing? That's what prophets of God do. They preach against. And they warn. And that shouldn't have been a surprise to Israel. I don't know of a single prophet of God in the Old Testament that came preaching for, for, relax, peace, 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 love. No, warning, warning, judgment, and promise that results from judgment. Warning, 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 judgment, 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 and ultimately the faithfulness of God and fulfilled promises. 2 Chronicles 16, 7-10, this is an interesting little bit of insight into one of God's prophets when he was sent to the king of Judah. In many ways a righteous king, but did some stupid things. Jeremiah 6, I mean, 2 Chronicles 16, 7-10. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lumines a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thy hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have ye, thou shalt have wars. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house. 
for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. That's a microcosmic picture of how the church today treats people in her midst that warn her of her foolishness. It's exactly what they did. In a rage. I've lost count of the number of times a so-called Christian or pastor who hears the preaching of the gospel on the street goes into a rage and has this same reaction here. This prophet wasn't sent to the king to speak peace and well-being. He was sent to the king and said, You're an idiot. You're stupid. Look at this stupid thing that you've done. The Hebrew there is very blunt. You know, I'm not going to mince words. It's very blunt. You've done something really, really stupid. And as a result, judgment is coming. If you go back and read King Asa, he was a righteous king in many ways and got rid of, I believe he got rid of the Sodomites in the land. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to rid the land of Sodomites. That's what God says. It's a good thing. These things were written for our warning and our, and, our, and our learning. God commended them for getting rid of the Sodomites. I know Jehoshaphat was involved in that as well, his son. And there was a time when this kingdom faced invasion by a large host that came out of Ethiopia and the Lubims as well. And if you go back and read earlier in... Uh, Chapter 14, this host was about a million people. Far outnumbered the armies at his disposal. And he cried out to the Lord. He didn't try to hire mercenaries. He cried out to the Lord. And the Lord delivered them from this mighty invasion. A miracle. And um, he put idols out of the land. Agreed to follow God. Uh, he removed um, his own mother from being queen because she was an idol worshiper. But then he began to feel threatened by the northern kingdom of Israel and King Baasha. A fraction of the danger that that Ethiopian host would have been. And instead of going to the Lord like he did the first time when he faced a more formidable opponent, he hired the king of Syria. Basically, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, he hired them as mercenaries to take care of Baasha in the northern kingdom. And what he used to pay him was silver and gold from the house of the Lord. Didn't even stop to ask God. Forgot about that. <coughs> and so God sent his prophet. And the prophet rebuked. He didn't flatter. He didn't use feigned words. He rebuked the king and told him plain. He spoke plain. Your majesty, I'm going to speak plain. You've done very foolishly. And because of that foolishness, from henceforth you're going to have wars. And what did the king do? He flew into a rage and threw him in a prison cell. And he oppressed some of the people. Second Chronicles 24, 17 through 22. Now after the death of Jehoiada, came the princes of Judah and made obeisance to the king. 
And the king hearkened unto them, and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not give ear. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because that ye have because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. Jehoiada the priest was the one that saved the baby Joash from the wicked designs and murderous treachery of Queen Athaliah and preserved him. And if it hadn't been for this priest, this faithful priest, that king would have perished. But when the faithful priest died, this wicked king who had been saved by his benefactor turned away from the Lord. Turned away from the Lord. And they started to worship idols and groves. God sent prophets to them to testify what? Verse 19. Against them. But they would not give ear. And then the son of this Jehoiada came and rebuked the people. Why are you sinning against God? You've forsaken the Lord, now He's forsaken you. We would say that's just not effective. That's just so rude. That's not the Spirit of Christ. That's not the love of Jesus. And what did they do? They stoned Him. And this wicked king didn't remember the kindness that Zechariah's father had shown toward him. And he murdered his son. Wicked. But once again, God sent prophets to testify against the people. Not flattery, not feigned words. This Zechariah, uh, the son of Jehoiada, was slain um, in the court of the temple. When Jesus is preaching in the Gospels, He tells Israel that the blood, of, the blood beginning with righteous Abel all the way down to Zechariah, the son of Berechias, is upon you. And people often say Jesus is acknowledging the entire Tanakh in the Hebrew Bible in its order as being the Word of God because Abel is in Genesis and this murder of Zechariah uh, the son of Jehoiada is in Second Chronicles. But Jesus wasn't referring to this incident. Uh, he was referring to something that the Scriptures don't specifically record that happened more than two, I think more than 200 years later. There was another Zechariah that was the son of Berechiah. Uh, who was that? It's the prophet Zechariah. So Israel didn't just murder her prophets prior to the captivity. They murdered them after the captivity when they got all super religious and anti-idolatrous and built their synagogues. If you read in one of the Targums, it tells us that the prophet Zechariah, the one that was post-exilic, 
That's who Jesus is referring to. He was murdered. Not in the court of the temple, but in the inner part of the temple. Right there at the altar. Now the Old Testament doesn't record that event because it happened between the Testaments. But Israel wasn't just guilty of killing God's prophets before they were led into captivity. They did it after they came back and got so religious and spiritual or so all. So idolatrous Israel hated God's prophets and so did religious Israel. Okay? Jesus Christ knew what He was talking about and He proved to be God because He knew facts that religious Israel tried to cover up. But it's right there in one of the Targums that talks about how they killed Him. You know, he, Zechariah preached some hard truth in, the, in his book against religious Israel and about the coming of Messiah, and they killed him for it. God's prophets come preaching against wickedness. They warn. They warned. Turn to 2 Peter 2.3 for a moment. Peter says he's warning here about false teachers, false prophets among the people. They'll bring in damnable heresies, denying the very Lord that brought them. Many will follow their pernicious ways. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Feigned words, words you want to hear. The very thing you hear from people like this Stephen Furtick or, or these false teachers on television feigned words to deceive you, use you. But the only reason they're there to speak these things is because you've put them there with your itching ears. These aren't, feigned words are not the mark of God's preachers or God's prophets. So, true prophets speak with 100% accuracy in terms of what God is going to do. The things come to pass. True prophets preach judgment against sin against nations, against wickedness. They warn of God's judgment. They don't use flatteries or feigned words. The third characteristic of a true prophet of the Lord is the fruit of his preaching is repentance, not harmony and tolerance. The fruit of a true preacher's declarations is that there will be a repentance and turning away from sin in hearts. Even maybe just one. But it doesn't bear the fruit of tolerance, unity, and harmony. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 verses 21 and 22. God says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil ways and from the evil of their doings. So in other words, if I had sent these prophets and they had spoken my words, then the fruit would have been people turning from evil. The fruit would have been people turning from their wicked ways. That's the proof that I would have sent them. But none of this happened. They ran and they prophesied, but they didn't run 
from me to you, and they didn't prophesy from me to you. People today say the fruit of good preaching is the response, a response of peace and love and unity. You can't have unity if it's not in the truth. And we ought not to seek that type of wicked unity. The church at Pergamos was rebuked by Jesus Christ for its tolerance. They, remember we talked about the pronoun change? They, the Christians at Pergamos, tolerated them that were bringing in false teaching, the Nicolaitan doctrine and, and the spirit of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam. And Christ said, either you take care of the problem, stop the tolerance and deal, or I'm going to come and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Christ rebuked Pergamos for tolerance and told them, you either deal with these false teachers and get them out of this church, or I'll come and fight against them myself. Christ does fight. Those are red letters there in the letters to the seven churches. But the fruit of a prophet's preaching is people repent and humble themselves and come back to the Lord. That's how we knew that God used the preachers and the men of God during the Great Awakenings in American history. People repented and came back to the Lord. But we're not seeing that today. All of this talk about revival and God pouring out His blessings and healing and prosperity. These preachers aren't from God. They're false teachers. They beray the spirit of the false prophet who uses miracles to deceive, to preach unity, to preach uh, prosperity in and through the worship of the beast who's going to take care of all your problems. And yet you've got God's prophets warning them Moses and Elijah at the temple preaching against these things and saying, look, this is judgment from God and the people hate it. They say they've tormented us and they rejoice when they're slain and their bodies lie in the streets. A true prophet of God speaks with 100% accuracy in terms of what God will do. He prophesies against wickedness and the fruit of his preaching is repentance, not harmony or tolerance. These are things clearly demonstrated in the Scriptures. When we look at the false prophet here that's revealed in Revelation 13, we cannot ignore what's earlier been said in chapter 11 about the two anointed ones that stand before the God of the earth. These two street preachers that will minister for a period of three and a half years, I believe that period of their ministry overlaps the two halves of the tribulation. God never brings judgment without warning. And in the midst of a time when His people are being deceived, when a false prophet comes and claims to be the Elijah that the, spirit, that the Scripture speak would come, when he claims to be that prophet that Moses said would come, and they fall for it, you've got the real Elijah and the real Moses there warning and the people are so blind they don't even recognize it. The Elijah they've waited for all these years is there and they don't recognize him. But they're there at the temple preaching. Street preachers. Anointed ones that God uses. And we can't ignore that in the nature of their preaching. It stands in contrast to this false prophet. There's a big contrast here between the two witnesses who are of God and this false prophet that men think are of God. A man's enemies will tell you a whole lot more 
about who He is and His character than His friends. Really will. If you're, if you're constantly berated and harassed by American churchianity, then that says something about your character. If American churchianity loves you, and you're able to go church to church in this country and preach, and you, you never offend anyone, and you're always welcome back, there's a problem. I think George Whitfield, the great revival preacher, said it is a poor sermon that does not cause offense and doesn't cause the hearers to either be displeased with themselves or displeased with the preachers. And I would say that that's modeled in the Scriptures. But not only is there a contrast here in Revelation between this false prophet and what we studied in chapter 11 with regard to the two witnesses, but there's contrast elsewhere in Scripture that shed further light on how, the, how to spot the spirit of the man, the spirit of this beast out of the earth that will eventually come in the flesh. There's places in the Scripture where a prophet confronts a true prophet of God. And that contrast further sheds light on this spirit that we need to be careful with. Some different stories, and it may take me, it's worth looking at. Turn to 2 Chronicles 18. There's a story here. It involves a confrontation of two prophets. Zedekiah the son of Canaanah and Micaiah the son of Imla. And it's interesting to see this episode. 2 Chronicles 18. 1 through 27. It's a long passage, but let's read it. Um, Jason, would you read that? 2 Chronicles 18, 1 through 27. Now, the husband that had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance. And for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramah Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will thou go with me to Ramah Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together of prophets four hundred men, and said to them, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we prepare? And they said, Go up, for God will deliver it unto the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here, a prophet of the Lord beside, that we might inquire of him. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil. Same is Micaiah, the son of Ebon. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. The king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah, the son of Elam. 
And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes, and they sat in the holy place at the entering of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Kanana, had made him horns of iron, and said, Thus said the Lord, With these thou shalt push Samaria, Syria, until they be consumed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Up to Roman Gilead, and prosper. So the Lord shall deliver into the hand of the king. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets declared, Good to the king with one of sin. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs, and speak thou good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he, and when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, Shall we go up the Romanian battle, or we shall we prepare? And he said, Go ye up and prosper. They shall be delivered into your hand. And the king said unto him, How many times shall I inquire thee that thou say nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I did see all of Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return their poor, every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said unto Hosephat, Did I not tell thee that he would not prophesy good to me, but evil? Again he said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And then, and the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Romaphilia? And one spake, saying, After this manner, and another saying, After that manner. Yes. Then, then there came out of spirit, and stood before the Lord, and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be lying in spirit and be a lying spirit in the mouth of, of his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. Then Zedekiah, the son of came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek and said which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee and Micaiah said behold thou shalt see on that day when thou shalt go into the inner chamber to hide thyself then the king of Israel said take ye Micaiah and carry him back to Ammon the governor of the city. And 
Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus saith the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with bread of affliction, and with water of affliction, until, uh, until I return in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou certainly return in peace, then hath not the Lord spoken by me. And he said, Hearken, all ye people. Okay, that was a long passage of Scripture there, but here we have a picture of a true prophet of the Lord that reflects these character traits I've spoken about, but we also have a picture of a false prophet. And there's some character traits there we need to watch out for. But we've got a contrast here between this Micaiah, the son of Imla, a true prophet of God. Notice what he says there at the end. Look, if you come back in peace... O king, then I've not spoken of the Lord. In other words, he put his words on the line and says, you'll know that I was from God if what I said comes to pass. He didn't go in there and throw down some positive reinforcement like all these other false prophets. He preached against going up. Okay? We know that his warnings produced a heart of repentance later in Jehoshaphat because God says there's good things in thee and you've prepared your heart to seek me after he made this mistake. But then we've got this false prophet, this Zedekiah the son of Kanaanah, who made these horns and said God's going to push the king of Syria, go up and prosper. Good things. Peace and love. Good things. And this false prophet was enraged at the true prophet. The, the true prophet didn't come up there. They went and grabbed him. In fact, King Jehoshaphat, who should have never been in this wicked alliance with the king of the north, he knew that what was being prophesied by the false teachers was not... He didn't trust it because it was all positive. And he knew that that's not usually the mark of a prophet of the Lord. And he's like, isn't there a true prophet here that's going to tell us something a little more trustworthy. And the king says, well, yeah, I know one, but I hate him because he always says bad things. He never says anything good. And Jehoshaphat said, no, let's, let's hear what he has to say. And he comes in there and he's warned, you know, look, everybody's preaching good things. Now you go in there and you say something to make them feel good. And that's what they wanted to hear. So they said, should we go up? Yeah, go up and prosper. Go up and prosper. They'll be delivered in your hand. If that's, if that's what you think, so be it. And even the wicked king knew that he wasn't speaking truth. And so through the prophet, God revealed that a lying spirit was sent to entice King Ahab and to deceive him and to bring judgment upon him. And man, that made the false prophet angry. And they ended up throwing him in prison. And the king said, you're going to stay there until I return in peace. And he said, if you come back in peace, praise God, it, it'll mean that I'm not speaking for God. But we know he didn't come back in peace. And what is when they went up to Ramoth Gilead, the wicked king Ahab told King Jehoshaphat, Look, I'm going to disguise myself, but you go ahead and go out there in all your robes, and they won't, you know, they won't mess with the king. But I'll disguise myself. And so he encouraged his uh, uh, ally from the south, You go out there in the king, and put yourself at risk. And made him think that was a safe thing to do. And he thought by disguising himself, he would escape the judgment of God. Now, had he, he knew and was afraid of the prophecy 
of the true prophet. Because if he weren't afraid and he believed the false prophets, he wouldn't have disguised himself as a normal soldier. He would have gone out like a king. But he's just like these wicked men in the name of Islam that lead these mosques and lead these movements and claim God's going to do this and God's going to bless you with 70 virgins in paradise if you do jihad. But none of them are out there on the front lines doing jihad. They always get other people to do it. Because they know. And even the wicked king here was afraid, so he disguised himself. And one of the archers, in fact, the people saw King Jehoshaphat and said, there's the king, let's get him. And he's like, whoa, you know, I'm not the king of Israel and the Lord delivered him. But Ahab, who was disguised as a soldier in a chariot, one of the archers just drew a bow and slung it, the arrow, and the arrow hit him between the joints of the armor and he died. And the dogs licked his blood, just like Elijah said would happen. So all the disguises didn't help. What God's prophet said came to pass. What this false prophet, he prophesied for good with horns of iron. With horns of iron. And then he hated God's prophet. He smote him on the mouth. And uh, um, said, you know, where, where did the Spirit of God go from me to you? And he said, well, um, Micaiah said, behold, you're going to find out when you go into your home to hide yourself. And uh, he went into his home to hide himself and uh, he ended up uh, <coughs> perishing, I believe. I'm trying to think if it says that here. Um, I don't think it says that here. But anyway... Um, he prophesied that you're going to find out where the Spirit of God is when you go back to your house and try to hide yourself from the judgment that's coming. So we've got a true prophet contrasted with a false prophet here. And that story in of itself says a whole lot. That story in of itself reveals a whole lot about what we can trust behind the pulpit these days and what we can't trust. Does it not? Does it need an exegesis? True prophets of the Lord. I've talked about some of their characteristics. What are the characteristics of false prophets? What are red flags that we ought to watch out for? And we see some of those in this story. What do false prophets do? Well, number one, they speak against the truth. They don't declare the truth. They make excuses or try to beat around it, speaking against it. You know, a false prophet tries to dig through Scripture and find something to rationalize what he's already made his mind up about. He preaches against the truth. Why the Bible can't mean this. Or why it says this, but it really means this. That's the mark of a false prophet. Let's look at a couple passages of Scripture. Brother Tony, 1 Kings 22-28. I'll come back to you, Eric. Jeremiah 28-15. Remember, Jesus said when he prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17, O oh God, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. A false prophet speaks against the truth. He speaks against the Bible. He digs through the Bible to find something he can rationalize. Or he makes excuses for what the Bible clearly declares. He beats around the bush. Look at these examples here. Brother uh, Tony, 1 Kings twenty-two twenty-eight. Micaiah said, if you return at all in peace, 
spoken by me. And he said, hearken, O people, every one of you. Okay, this uh, story is also told in 1 Kings. And um, he had spoken the truth. Micaiah had spoken the truth. And he addresses the king and says, If you return at peace, the Lord hasn't spoken. And then he, before he's ushered out of the room, he says all the people, Listen to me, people. Listen up. Remember this. True prophets speak against the truth. The truth is, Ahab would be judged. Now, I mean, false prophets speak against the truth. True prophets aren't ashamed of the truth. Now, this truth had already been prophesied by Elijah the Tishbite after Naboth, I mean, after uh, uh, Ahab did what he did with Naboth's vineyard, that wickedness there. And God said, the, the dog's going to lick your blood in this very spot where you killed Naboth. That prophecy was already out there. That judgment had already been proclaimed. Micaiah speaks the truth. But this other false prophet here in this same story rails against the truth. The truth was judgment was coming to Ahab. But he spoke against it. Don't worry, you're going to go up and prosper. You're going to go up and prosper. False. Jeremiah 28, 15. Hananiah is the one that told Israel, that Judah, don't worry. Within two years, Babylon will be overthrown. They may look like they're going to come and do something, but just give it two years. God said that He's going to deliver you. And Jeremiah said, oh no. The truth is, God is going to judge this nation at the hand of the king of Babylon. These things had already been declared. They were declared in the days of Hezekiah before Babylon was anything but a little tiny nation when Assyria conquered the world. And remember Hezekiah invited the ambassadors to Bab from Babylon into Jerusalem and he showed him all the riches of the temple of the Lord and he showed him all his riches and you know, basically, look at me, look at all of these things I have. And, and uh, the prophet came and said, you've done foolishly. Those, one day the people of that nation are going to come and carry all this stuff away and destroy Jerusalem. Hezekiah said, so be the word of the Lord, at least it's not going to happen in my days. But that was when Babylon was, wasn't even anywhere close to a world power. These things had already been prophesied, and this false prophet was speaking against a clear truth that had already been made clear through Isaiah, through Jeremiah earlier, through other prophets. And he was speaking against the truth. When people speak against the plain truth, that's already been revealed in Scripture. And they try to come up with a new hermeneutic or some way to explain it. Run, that's a false teacher. If somebody claims that the Bible teaches or doesn't teach something that God the Holy Spirit has taught as orthodoxy through the church, throughout all of church history, and it's some new thing, run from it. That's a prophet of the Lord. If there's some theological position that the Bible-believing remnant, that the remnant body of Christ has never held in its history, regardless of what church period of church history you're in, whether it's Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, or Laodicea, then run from it. Mormonism is based on some new revelation. Run from it. All this nonsense in the church today about homosexuals 
and transgenders and how, you know, if you're a homosexual, you can be celibate and be pleasing to God. The church has never held those beliefs. Those that say this speak against the truth. And they're no different than the wicked Mormons. Joseph Smith said the, one of the foundational pillars of the Mormon faith was polygamy and the taking of many wives. But when the U.S. government that had more power and a big army said, no, if you continue this practice, we're just going to send the cavalry out there and invade you and take you over. And then all of a sudden the doctrine changed because it's not politically expedient. That's what false prophets do. But God's prophets speak for the truth, not against it. Especially truth that's already been clearly revealed. Why are we having a discussion about the morality and the spirituality of homosexuality? Why is there even a discussion? It's clearly been revealed, but false teachers want to call into question the truth. What's another mark of a false prophet? Greed. Dealing falsely. Motivated by greed. Jeremiah 6.13, Brother Ricky, if you'll look that up. For from the least of them even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to, unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. Covetousness, greed, dealing falsely. When it comes to discerning a true prophet from a false prophet, follow the money. Follow the money. That'll tell you everything you need to know. When it comes to these Christian ministries like Baptist children's services and Catholic this or whatever, who, who all their bleeding hearts and are making such a big deal, we need to bring the refugees in. We need to bring in these Muslim refugees and you know, we've got to help them. and all. Follow the money. They're contracted out with the U.S. government and they get contracts and they profit from this. Follow the money. If what a preacher or a prophet says is motivated by money, watch out. That's why you'll find a lot of pastors that used to take a stand, but when the church gets big and the budget gets big and they've got to meet certain line items, and, the, and, and a calling has become a career, and the pastor has to maintain his salary and benefit package, all of a sudden he doesn't preach against stuff too much anymore. Now he might make sure that the things he says are what everybody in there agrees with. It doesn't take any boldness as a revival preacher or a pastor to stand behind a pulpit and preach blunt truth that you know everybody in there agrees with. But when your message starts being tweaked because you've got a career or a salary or a benefit package to protect, watch out. That's the mark. That's the spirit of the false prophet. Follow the money. The mark of a man of God is a consistent message. Sometimes this will gain support. Sometimes it will cost support. Follow the money. True prophets don't preach because of what the reaction will be. They preach because this is what God says. There was no beating around the bush. Thus saith the Lord. And at times they prospered and at times they lost the support of the people. 
follow the money. Another mark of a false prophet is that he teaches people to follow other gods than the God of the Bible. Turn to Deuteronomy 13. Let me get through these characteristics of the false prophets and we'll end today. Deuteronomy 13 says here in verses 1 through 3, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you or test you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. False prophets can predict things accurately. If you'll follow them, it won't be 100% of the time. But they can predict things accurately and they can give signs and wonders to try to convince you that what they're saying is true. And God tells Israel, that'll happen because I'm testing you. If you have a prophet that claims something and what he's claiming or or telling you to do is to turn away from the God of the Bible, it doesn't matter whether he performs a, a miracle or not. He's false. When the preaching of any man in the name of Christ turns our attention away from, the, from Christ and the blunt truth of Scripture then it doesn't matter how big his church is. It doesn't matter how fast it's growing. It doesn't matter what signs or wonders he might do. He's not of God, period. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk about this later in this chapter, is to testify of Christ. So if what is called the work of the Holy Spirit turns the attention away from Christ, you know it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. It's just not. In fact, the false prophet has a primary responsibility. It's to give testimony of Antichrist. He's the anti-Holy Spirit. And he's faithful to that end. We know the Holy Spirit is faithful to give attention to Christ. So any of this charismaniac garbage that turns people away from Christ or turns the attention away from Christ is not the Holy Spirit. False teachers lead men to follow other gods. They lead men to follow the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the false prophet. Let's look at a couple of New Testament passages real quick. First John chapter four, verse three. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now it is already in the world. Flip over the page to the second epistle of John, verse 7. Many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the false prophet is to turn people away from Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Leading us to follow other gods. Micah 3.11 Micah 3.11 
Another mark of a false prophet is they teach and preach for money. What they give, what instruction they give, or what they declare, they won't do it without charging for it. You know, like a lot of these revival preachers, they won't come and preach a revival unless the church can guarantee them a certain amount of love offering. That's a mark of a false prophet. Look what the prophet Micah says in chapter 3, verse 11. The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord. They'll say, you know, I'm trusting in God, but they're charging for money. And say, is not the Lord among us? No evil can come upon us. So they, men that claim they're trusting the Lord teach and preach for hire. Now I think that the church ought to take care of those that labor of the gospel. They that labor of the gospel are worthy of their hire. But those of us that are called to labor go out and declare and take opportunities to do so and we leave it to the Lord to lay it upon the hearts of the people. But not a false prophet. He, he charges admission. He does it for money. Watch out. I don't even like going to Christian concerts that charge admission. If you're going to charge admission, quit calling what you're doing a ministry. It's not. It's a job. Just don't call it a ministry. If you want to charge for admission, that's fine. But don't act like you're leaning upon the Lord and call it a ministry. If it's truly a ministry, preach the gospel. Declare the works of the Lord through song and let God's people take care of you. Allow them to take up a love offering. Charging admission, selling all these books. Give us your seed faith gift and we'll teach you this and we'll teach you that. False teachers. Just like the false teachers of Israel in Micah's day. And he spoke out boldly against the wickedness in Israel. Against the wickedness in Israel. False prophets prophesy peace. Peace. When the theme is peace... Watch out. Watch out. Peace that does not involve peace with God. When the theme is man-made peace, an earthly peace that does not include Jesus Christ and the blood of His cross, that does not include Jesus Christ and His rule and reign that will put down wickedness, then watch out. It's the mark of a false prophet. Let's go back to Jeremiah. There's so much in Jeremiah that contrasts a true prophet with a false prophet. Chapter 6, and I'm almost done. Indulge me for a moment. Chapter 6, verse 14. You know, I just read verse 13 about all the priests and the prophets being given to covetousness and dealing falsely. Follow the money. Then he says, verse 14, They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people, slightly saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Revival, revival, when there is no revival. False. And never once a call to repentance in all that revival talk. I couldn't even watch some of the videos from that. It was sickening. I listened to about two minutes of that furtic character. And I couldn't even stand to listen to it. Where is the discernment in the church? Jeremiah 23, 17. They shall say unto them that despise me. 
So, the false prophets are going to tell people that despise me, saith the Lord. The Lord hath said, you shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. That is exactly what we see today. To people that hate God, oh, He just loves you just the way you are. Come on into the church. If you're gay, you can get married. God just loves you the way you are. No, He doesn't. If He loved you the way you are, He'd have never sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for your sin. He loves you too much to keep you the way you are. And He loves you enough to warn you and to make an escape. And He loves His saints enough to be consistent and to throw down judgment on the wicked so that He is glorified in their presence. So that a man may say, there is a God that judges in the world. There is a reward to the righteous. Kids, straighten up. You shall have peace. No evil shall come upon you. If that's the message, run. Run! It's not the mark of a prophet of God. Luke 6.26, Jesus gives us another very clear indicator or character trait of a false teacher. The spirit of false prophecy. Luke 6.26 Woe unto you, not blessed are you, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. In other words, if you don't have people that criticize you, doesn't mean you're blessed. Woe unto you. Why? For so did their fathers to the false prophets. A false prophet is someone that nobody has anything negative to say about them. The media covers them. Doesn't try to cover them up. When people only say good things about you, then you're not preaching the full counsel of God. Woe unto you. If a man is just popular and his churches are growing and all speak well of him, watch out. That's the mark of a false prophet. And then finally, not only do false prophets drive people to turn away from the Lord toward other gods, they also teach them to rebel against the Lord. False prophets prophets encourage people not only to turn from the Lord, but to actively rebel against Him. You know, we may in our hearts decide that God is okay with homosexual marriage or homosexual relationships in the church. We just kind of maintain quiet. That's turning away from God. That's turning our ear away from the Word of the Lord. But then there are those of us that not just turn our way, not only do we just decide to tolerate it, we move from tolerating it to teaching it and encouraging it. That's rebellion against the Lord. Not just tolerating it and being a wimp like the church at Pergamos, but teaching it and encouraging it, the church at Thyatira. Toleration, turning away from God, eventually leads to active rebellion against God. So if a prophet of God minimizes Jesus Christ, turns the attention away from his person and work, it won't be long before he'll be encouraging you to actively rebel against the Lord. Jeremiah again, 29. Again, I don't want to just say these things without backing it up with Scripture. Jeremiah 
Jeremiah 29, 32. This is spoken against another false prophet. Therefore saith the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehelamite and his seed. He shall not have a man to dwell among this people, neither shall he behold the good that I will do for my people, saith the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. That was one of the false prophets there in Judah at the time of the captivity. He taught rebellion against the Lord, and the people did rebel. God said, submit yourself to the king of Babylon, and I will spare you, but if you don't go out to him, you're going to perish. And they just flat out rebelled. Because they had false prophets teaching them to do so. If the word of God is clear on matters that are clear, there's no debate about whether abortion is murder. There's no debate about whether homosexuality is an abomination. These things are clear in the Word of God. If someone leads you to think otherwise, that is the mark of a false teacher. That's driving you to rebellion. Because you've been given the instructions. If you were ignorant, it would be one thing. But when you've got it here, when you've got the plane and all you want is a riddle, and you go away from the plane to a riddle... You're just rebellious to the Lord. And you're following those that you think have your best spiritual interest at heart, but in reality, they exist to deceive and cause you to rebel against God. So today we've looked at characteristics of true prophets. 100% accuracy. Not 99.99. 100%. A false prophet may predict things accurately. He may even perform signs and wonders. The perennial false prophet does that. But true prophets are 100% accurate. They preach against things. They don't preach peace and love. They warn. The fruit of their preaching is repentance, not tolerance and harmony. And then we contrasted the interaction there between Zedekiah, the false prophet, Micaiah, one of God's prophets, and then highlighted some aspects of false teachers. Warning signs. This false prophet in Revelation 13 is the embodiment of all these things. And those here ought to recognize that. If Israel paid any real attention to his history, they would recognize him as false. But they don't. They kill God's prophets. They will do it then just like they did before. And when they're brought to their utter end, and when they realize this is a false Messiah, then they'll cry out for Christ, and He'll come and save them and fulfill His promise. And all Israel living at that time will be saved, praise the Lord. But we need to be on guard against the spirit of the false prophet in our churches. And in these dark days, we have to be those who are willing to take a stand like Micaiah when everybody's looking for us to preach good. We have the... Uh, boldness to say what's true, even if it means we get a slap in the face and get thrown into a prison cell. I think that true believers around this country, whether you choose to vote or not, I would not condemn you if your conscience leads you not to vote. If you vote for Hillary Clinton, you don't have a conscience. But if you decide to vote for Mr. Trump and that's your conscience, listen to it. But I think more than that, we need to be willing to go out to these polling places when these early voting days start. You're allowed to 
campaign at a polling place as long as you stay a certain number of feet away. And there's people out there peddling all their garbage. Maybe we need to be those that go out. Maybe we need to take some gruesome pictures of aborted babies out there. Let voters look at that when they walk in. Maybe we need to go out there and preach repentance. Preach against America. And not warn people that a political election can't fix this country. If politics could fix the country, then Israel would have never needed David the son of Jesse. Saul would have been just fine. It can't fix it. But maybe we need in the spirit of Micaiah and some of these other prophets be willing to use this opportunity to speak boldly. So I would encourage you to take a few minutes on election day. You men, when you go to cast your vote, if you do or don't, go out there and lift up your voice like a trumpet. You have the right to be there. I don't care what the police say. You have a right to be there. Next week we'll get more into the text. We've looked at the false prophets' attributes. We've contrasted true and false prophets. There's a couple of other examples in Scripture, at least three other examples where a true prophet is confronted with a false prophet that I want to look at next week. And then we're going to get into the ministry of this perennial false prophet. And we're going to look at his miracles... And then I want to contrast for you how do we know the difference between God's miracles and Satan's miracles. God's miracles bear certain fruits. Satan's miracles bear certain fruits. Just like God's prophets bear certain fruits and, his, his false, and Satan's prophets bear certain fruits. And then we'll get into uh, uh, what the Scriptures here have to say about the mark of the beast. I'm sure you're kind of interested in that as well. We'll move along. We'll pedal along slowly. I'm sorry I've run late again. I keep stretching it out because I know you'll tolerate it. True prophets don't mind preaching past 12 o'clock or 12.30 either. True preachers. True preachers aren't watching their clock. They're going to say what God wants them to say. That's another mark for modern times. Yeah, I still have stopped short every week, but... Let's, uh, let's pray and, uh, over the food and we'll, um, we'll eat in fellowship together. Father, we, put, we ask that You would bless and prosper the reading and the teaching of Your Word today. Father, uh, Your Word is very clear about a lot of things. May we be those that don't search the Scriptures for an excuse to sin, but search the Scriptures to know our sins so that we may turn from it and be driven to put our faith and trust in You and Your Messiah in everything. Father, may we be those that speak the truth in the spirit of Micaiah the prophet. Give us discernment to know the false teachers that would lead us astray from You, that would teach us to rebel against You, that would use us for money, for flattery. Help us to know these things. And may we never go down that path. And if we do, may our brethren spot it and have the courage to rebuke it so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We pray for our country, Lord. I pray You'd have mercy upon us, that You'd raise up prophets that would go to the streets and warn like You did in Israel of old. And I pray that people would listen. I pray our leaders would listen, that they would repent and put their faith in You before it's too late, and that You would save them. Father, there was a wicked king in Judah that reared up an idol and stuck it right there in the temple of the Lord, a picture of what Antichrist will do. 
But when this man was judged of you and carried into captivity, he was humbled and he repented. And when you restored him back to his throne, one of the first things he did was he tore down that idol and cleansed the temple of those wicked things. So Lord, he was one of the most wicked kings that ever lived in Israel's history. Yet you saved him and you bore fruit in his life. Lord, there's hope for any wicked political leader if you could save King Manasseh. And we pray that for our president. We pray that for our leaders, Lord, that you would bring them to a place of repentance and that they would tear down the idols and the lies they've sown in this country to turn a people away from righteousness. Lord, may we be a Bible-reading people so that we aren't mentally and socially enslaved by the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the false prophet in these dark days. Lord, bless the food we're about to eat. I pray you would nourish it, strengthen us. We pray for those who are not here as they're traveling today. Keep them safe. And Lord, the fellowship that we can enjoy right now around the table as brothers and sisters in Christ, Father, that is the greatest revenge against the spirit of Antichrist, to the spirit of the false prophet that has infected our nation and our churches. That's the greatest revenge. And because it's a blessing, and there's peace, and there's hope. And we demonstrate that when we sit together. And don't fear evil tidings, but trust in the Lord. May you give others that peace and hope that they don't have. And may we be a light to shine it in their lives and be used of you to bring them into that fellowship of the body. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.